follow that beautiful meditation and music up with prayer to our great God and invite him to continue to minister to our hearts. Shall we? Let's pray. Father, that is truly the desire of our hearts that your word may abide in our lives that we might be saved. That your word abide in us that we might have life. Let your word dwell in us richly that we might know how deep and wide and broad is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Father, let us not settle or satisfy on anything less than the fullness and richness of our amazing God dwelling richly in our lives. Father, I pray that you would find a settled place in my heart and in the hearts of my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. Father, I pray that our lives would so reflect your glory and so bring honor to you that a world in darkness might see the light and might come to Christ, who to know is life eternal. I pray, Father, that you would Minister now to our hearts through your word this morning, Father. I pray that you would use this powerfully to change us, for ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Can I just mention again tonight, do not go to Kanakwa tonight. We don't have Kanakwa tonight. We don't have the camp tonight. Camp is right here, 6 o'clock. And then next week, go to camp. And the week after that, but not this week. This Sunday night, come here. And uh, let's catch up with uh, our great ministry in Odessa and hope for people. And keep being in prayer for Pastor Petya, who is very, very ill, gravely ill, continues to battle cancer. And yet the church is thriving and moving forward, and God is raising up leaders and servants who will... Uh, who are making an impact and, and a difference. And, and so it is. That's how God's work moves forward. Matthew, you've got a slide up there for me. Why don't you put that thing up there? Can anybody tell me what that is? That's good. I'm impressed. It is New York. Now, can you tell me the date? <laughs> Come on, there's some hints. Hmm? Who's saying that? What's, what's the exact date? October 23rd, 2003. No, no, no. <laughs> August 14th, 2000. Matthew, give us the next slide. In case you didn't get that one. August 14th, 2003. You remember where you were? The great blackout? The power outage? We learned that day how dependent we were on power? Wasn't it something? And uh, I remember our Toronto team, I think they were away in that, uh, Rowan, I think you were away in that Toronto team ministry. Well, you know, Jesus was leaving his life on earth. In John chapter 16, verse 28, he said, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And it was going to be tough for his followers because they'd become very dependent on his 
proximity, his presence, his power right there with him. And what was going through their mind is that if you're going away, there's going to be a serious power outage, a serious blackout around us. He says to them in John 16, verse 1, I'm, All of this I have told you so that you will not go astray. He follows through with his final life-changing revelation that I want to share with you this morning in the final of our I Am series. He says to them, I'm leaving, but I don't want you to live like I've pulled the main breaker, pulled the power switch somehow. I don't want you to be insecure. I don't want you to be joyless. I don't want you to be loveless. I don't want you to be fruitless. I don't want you to be unsure. I don't want you to be powerless. And so he gives them instructions on how to keep the power on at full wattage, full throttle on. Would you turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to John chapter 15? I want to share with you this morning how the true disciple lives. Or maybe I would like to better rephrase it, how the real disciple lives. Now this teaching isn't how you become a disciple. This is who a disciple is. This is what a real disciple is. This is gut check time, folks. Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's now talking to them about what this life is about. This is the life that he's talking about. And I want to pull out three keys from this very um, intricate text. There's so much here. I want to pull out just three keys for you this morning. If you can manage these, if you have these in your toolkit, you can have the full throttle life in Christ that he has in mind for you. John 15, I want to read to verse 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a friend of Jesus. That great, I think Israel Houghton wrote that song, didn't he? We are a friend of God. We are a friend of Christ. We are absolutely a friend of Christ. And by the way, folks, this is not at all complex what he gives us here. He gives a very straightforward, a very um, comprehensive and significant teaching, but not in the least complicated. Christ wants you to succeed. He wants you to win at this. He wants you to experience the fullness of his life in you. And you can. It's here for us. Now, um, all of his I am revelations to this point were stunning. I think we can all agree that each, each week as I dug into it, it was just a, a great, great um, time of, of communion with God and, and I trust that it has been for you. And, 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 and as he was taught us that he's the life bread and that he's the world light and that he's the access gate to salvation, he is the good shepherd, the, the real shepherd, um, he is the, the resurrection life. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. We learned all of these things. And each of these things, he was taking on the role of God. As he stood at the center of festivals, John pointed this out. Festivals of divine significance redirected the point to himself of all of those festivals. He is just leaving the Passover. It's still Passover time. But for the Jewish audience who would hear this, this was the heart-throbbing, eye-popping, gob-stopping, jaw-dropping revelation. I mean, this one did them in. This one got the news of the world reporters into hacking his information like you can't imagine. I am, he says, the true vine. He's saying, okay, what's, what's so eye-popping, jaw-dropping, you know, gobstopping about that? Well, I want you to turn back with me to Psalm chapter 80. Psalm 80. You know that um, if you've studied anything of the scriptures, you know that Israel, as a nation, considered itself God's healthy, favored vine. Now, Jesus had been teaching them, of course, as I said to you, that, that he is, in fact, the God these festivals were pointing to. He's the true Messiah. He's the true promised one. And so he had waded full blast into their religious belief system. 
But their religious belief system was tied very much to their political system and their national identity, and always has been, and still is. It's here he waded in, in this statement. You can mess around with religion. But once you start to mess around with national and political identity, now you're stepping. They were considered themselves, Israel had considered themselves the true vine, the, the vine, the favored vine of God, the favored journey to the true God came through the chosen people. All roads that matter led through Israel. That's their system. Jesus steps up and says, I'm the true vine. I'm the real true vine. Now, the Canadian audience is not really, you know, stunned by this comment and falling back in our, our seats, but the Israel audience was, the Jewish audience was. In Psalm 80, it tells us there, Restore us, O God Almighty, verse 7. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. This is among many passages where they got the idea they were the vine. Verse 8, You brought a vine out of Egypt. Us, Israel. You drove out the nations and planted it. Going down to verse 14, prophesied in the psalm, return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself, or literally the branch you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. I told you it was Passover time. It says at the end of verse 14, after Jesus had done all of this teaching wherein he had told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and it says that, that he, he, he continued to teach them, and then it says, come now at the very end, let us leave. And so he is leaving the Passover wherever they held that in the upper room. And it is likely that he walked through the temple one last time because there was only one time in all the year where the temple was open all day long, including that night. Passover. He likely led his men, his followers, through the temple and they came to the place called the holy place. Outside of it is a gigantic curtain. Above that curtain was a sculpture of a vine in pure gold. In fact, um, it had gold leaves, gold branches, gold clusters of grapes. Josephus tells us in his historical recollection of these things that, the, that some of the gold um, uh, grape clusters were the size of a man in pure gold. And the rich people of the time would continue to contribute to this and they were building this great vine depicting their great nation, Israel. 
as the hope of the nations. And Jesus walks up with his disciples and says to them, I am the true vine. So much gold was there in this depiction of the nation of Israel that when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in AD 70 and sacked the temple and took the gold, the price of gold in Syria dropped by 50% on the market. In saying that, as he stood there, he was telling them that I am replacing Israel. We don't have the same kind of nationalistic fervor, the same kind of political identity that the Jews had. Christ Jesus is replacing Israel. If the Jerusalem Times had given a headline of that day, it would have said, Rabbi Jesus claims to replace the nation of Israel as God's chosen. You can understand why he ended up being crucified a few days later. He was declaring himself the way to God. He had done that before, but now he is, he is moving himself in and saying, I am God's true vine. Israel was God's vehicle heretofore. And Israel was God's vehicle to get Jesus to the world. Salvation comes from, what does the scripture say? You don't know your scriptures? Salvation comes from the Jews. Through Jesus. Jesus says, I'm it now. I'm, the, I'm where this thing was going. I'm the true vine. To promote, by the way, a, a vineyard, vineyard any different from Jesus is, is no longer God's work. Jesus was calling an end to the political national identity of the Jews as the self-definition of God's people. Jesus was saying, unless Israel attaches herself to Jesus, she cannot get to God. This probably won't get me a free flight to Israel anytime soon, but it's the truth. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is the promise to the Jews, not the land. Whoever doesn't want Jesus is not at all on the same agenda as us. From now on, all people of God must be branches of Jesus. You understand? That's what he's saying. And it was always the plan. Psalm 80 tells us this was always to be the plan. Jesus is not creating some sort of new theology here. 
This was always God's plan. Now, if anybody's paying any attention this morning, this has huge implications. Not just then, but huge implications for us now. Huge implications toward how vigorously we should feel about Israeli land and nationalistic agendas as some sort of biblical right. Especially as it relates to our Arab brothers and sisters who live in Israel. Who are in fact attached to the true vine. As God's people, attached to the true vine, Jesus. We need to understand that the nation of Israel is operating on an exclusive Old Testament trajectory that ignores Messiah and ignores the New Testament. Their national and international affairs are not related to Messiah Jesus or New Testament in any possible way. Make no mistake about it. Whoever, whatever nation they belong to, is connected to the true vine Jesus. These are our true brothers and sisters. This teaching got Jesus crucified. He is the exclusive one. And so the starting point for all of this in how to continue with the proximity and the presence and the power of Christ is recognizing and acknowledging this categorically, that Jesus alone is the true vine. There is no other way. The true vine is the key to living. Secondly, the second key that I want to point out this morning is this, and I want to build this case for it, that obeying is the key to remaining. To this audience, by the way, this Jewish audience steeped in the systems of their religion, to this audience steeped in their culture, the pride of their national identity, their ethnic arrogance, keepers of the true religion, external cultural conformity, specializing in it, putting on a good show, skills of self-discipline, forms of godliness that lacking power therein. Jesus said, it's not about any of that. This connectedness, this remaining, this abiding, this plugging into the presence and power and proximity of the true vine is not about any of that cultural stuff. It's not any about that national stuff. It's not any about any of that external stuff. It's totally about the inner stuff. It's about a life-transforming connection to the living Christ, to the true vine. It's the branch Stuck to the vine. It's about remaining in the vine. 
Now, true discipleship, true Christian discipleship is something to believe. It's something to do. But it's also something to experience. That cannot be compared to any other forms of religion. Jesus says here, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Remain in me and I will remain in you. I will remain in you. It's about divine connectedness. It's about divine experiencing of that connection to Christ. It's about being a living branch that is in relationship with Christ that replaces the dead wood of religion or self-reliance. That's what he's talking about here in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Hanging around with me. Hanging close by me but bears no fruit because it has religion but it knows nothing of relationship. Now, let me go back to this picture for a second of what Jesus is talking about here. He says that he is the true vine, Jesus is the true vine, the Father, God, is the gardener. How many of you hang out in a garden ever? Okay, so some of you might understand this stuff. Father, God, is the gardener. People are the branches, and the vineyard is the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. People are the branches. That's the reality of how things work. He says here in verse 2, in the whole world of branches. Hey, this is... This is subject to possible other interpretations, but this is how I think it goes. In the whole world of branches, only fruit-bearing branches have life. That's what he's saying. In the whole world of branches, only fruit-bearing branches have life. We're going to talk about what fruit-bearing looks like in a few moments. But only fruit-bearing branches have life. Anything that's not bearing fruit is dead. It has no life. It's cut off. Now, I believe what Jesus is teaching here is that, that in the world of people, in the grace of God, in the graciousness of God, all people have had a shot at nearness. Why do I say that? In Acts chapter 17, when Paul is speaking on Mars Hill to the Athenians, he says this, from one man, verse 26 of Acts 17, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. And note what he says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. In the grace of God, in the world of branches, God himself, out of his grace, has given everyone a shot at nearness, at the possibility of fruitfulness. But only those that bear fruit are true disciples of Christ. 
The rest, it says he cuts off. They are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. He talks about only two ways of life. You're either bearing fruit, you're either a fruit-bearing person, or you are going to be burned. That's it. Two types of people. Now, um, he says that no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. He also says, if you're not connected to him, not bearing fruit, you'll be gathered up and burned. That's unbelief. Okay, so he makes this distinction. Now, here's what remaining is not. Because this is the the biggest concern I sort of embrace or, or understand in the nature of this whole reality of whether one is a disciple of Christ or not a disciple of Christ. Many people who have grown up in church or in the proximity of the teachings of Christianity and have been hanging out at church for their whole lives or much of their lives have learned how to copy the Christian culture. If you hang around long enough with anybody, you start to take on their characteristics. You start to know how to be like them. You start to know how to dress like them. You start to know how to talk like them. But it doesn't mean you are one of them. And the distinction that Christ is making here, which is absolutely essential for us to understand, is that copying the culture, even if religious, is deadly. You're just conforming to dead sticks. Depending on your own strength, depending on your own skills of observation, depending on how you have learned the ropes, you know how to get along, you know how to seem like you're one of them. And you know where the distinction shows up? When you're away from them. Are you still like them or not? That's why so many church kids often experience a crisis in their lives when they go to college. Because they found out for all of those years hanging out in Sunday school and then at youth group and all of that and hanging out with all the Christian adults and and everything, hanging out in the church culture, they've learned very well how to mimic the church culture. They've learned very well to look as if they're one of them. They've learned how to speak, how to dress, how to talk, how to walk. But Jesus is not talking about that. He was surrounded by all kinds of religious people. He's surrounded by Pharisees. He's surrounded by all kinds of the religious elite. And he's saying to each one of them, by the way, he's not telling them how to get saved in this text. He's telling them what real salvation looks like. You're attached to me. You have to be attached to me, Jesus says. You have to remain in me and I'll remain in you. There's this intimate connection, this intimate relationship, this flow back and forth. It's not just being interested, but intimate. It's not simply enjoying the Christian cultural activities. 
You have to really experience the connectedness of Christ by faith in Christ. So what is it? He tells us here, this is not a mystery. He tells us here what this is. What, is, what does remaining really mean like? Because at this point, for me or for you, it should seem, well, this seems very, very ethereal. This seems very, very out there. Rick, you're talking to us about being connected to Christ. You're talking to us about remaining in Christ. You're talking to us about having this intimate experiential relationship with Christ. But I need to know, what in the world is that? I want to make sure I got it. I have it. Jesus, I believe, takes what he says in verses 1 through 7 or 8 and uses verses 9 through 17 to explain it. Remaining in Christ is interpreted in verse 9 for us. Remain in my love. This is a, a, basically a, a parallel phrase. Remain in him in the first set of verses is remaining in his love in the second set of verses. You're saying, well, okay, but that still isn't cutting it for me. I don't know. Just tell me something practical. Tell me something I can take out of here. Okay, okay, hang on. Verse 10. Here's how you remain in his love. You remain in his love the same way he remained in the love of the Father. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. That's it? We've been building all of this to that moment? You're just going to tell me that I just have to read my Bible and believe it and obey it? That's what you're going to tell me. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Remember, I told you this wasn't going to be complex. I told you this was not, this was not rocket science. Jesus doesn't, doesn't make this complicated for us. He's not trying to make it hard. He's not trying to say, I hope you can figure out how to be disciples of Christ because I'm going to make it as tough as I can for you. I'm going to tell you things and you're never going to get it. You're never going to understand it. No, no. He tells it very simply. Remaining in Christ is connected to the obeying of his word. There's no other formula. You can look at religion after religion, person after person, and you can go right there. Do you obey and live by the word of Christ? You see the difference between copying the culture and allowing your life to be a conduit of Jesus' love produced by the spirit-energized joy of God? which produces conformity to Christ through the transforming work of God's word. There's no other way for this to happen. This connecting to Christ, this remaining in Christ, this abiding in Christ is the transforming work of the word of Christ. That's exactly what Hiram was singing in this song just before the message. It, it was about the word of God, which saves us, James chapter 1, and the word of God remaining in us, which transforms us. Being shaped by the Christian culture is useless come judgment day. You understand that? Being shaped by the Spirit of God 
is salvation. And so you can tell the difference, you know, when you're walking in here and saying, hey, listen, have I been fooling myself? Have I, have I just be, become conformed to the culture of Christianity? I know how to talk like them. I know how to think like them. I know how to defend the faith like them. I know all of that. Am I just kidding myself? Well, let me ask you the question. Do you obey God's word? That's the watershed. Obey the things he's commanded you. Living by the book. Plugged into the character and style of Jesus. So that you pick up more and more of the family traits of Jesus. Not conformed to the culture around you. But transformed by the work of Christ in your life. You know, you, you look to you look at the person and say, man, you got a lot of your mother in you. You got a lot of your father in you. What you want people to look at you and say is you got a lot of Jesus in you. Because that's what it does. That's what happens to you. That's the connection. That's what remaining and abiding is all about. Why doesn't the clock ever remain? Why doesn't it ever abide? Why doesn't, why doesn't it ever slow down? Hiram, you... You sang too long. That's what happened this morning. I got I to gotta go. I got to get you the thir- sec- third key here. Praying is the key to fruitfulness. Obeying is the key to remaining. Praying is the key to fruitfulness. Uh, by the way, to be real fruit, what is that? Uh, uh, look, I said I, t- I promised I told you. I'd tell you what that is. A grapevine produces what? A Jesus vine produces what? Huh? What does a Jesus vine produce? Jesus things, Jesus people. Right? That's what it produces. A Jesus vine produces Jesus people. A grapevine produces grapes. A, a Jesus vine, the true vine, a Jesus vine produces Jesus people, Jesus things. That, that's what the fruit is. It's not, this isn't complicated. This is what this fruit is to be To God's glory, he wants much fruit. By the way, fruit of the Spirit. Don't have time to go there. Galatians 5, you're wondering what it looks like. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And and, and branches that are connected to Jesus because they've had a uh, life-transforming intersection with Christ and and they're they're stuck to the vine. I'm stuck to Jesus. and, and And Jesus is flowing through them. The power of Christ is flowing through them. Whatever Jesus is is flowing in through them. These people produce fruit, and they branches will produce what is truly flowing through them from the vine. When, when Jesus courses through you, that's what makes you real in Christ. I know Jesus leads me. I know Jesus comforts me. He testifies to me. He tells me I am his own. As opposed to someone saying, I know about Jesus, but this connection you talk about is unknown to me. I I, I don't understand that. I'm religious. I go to X church whenever I get a chance. 
I'm charitable, I try to do good things, but I don't, I don't even understand what you're talking about, that Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, you talk to him, he talks to you, he leads you, he guides you, he tells you he is, he is your own, that you are his own, he tells you that? That's what Paul told the Romans he does. Yeah, he talks to me. And if I really believe he's talking to me, I'll, I'll listen to him and I'll obey it. And then experiencing God, it, it replaces exerting mechanical effort. Jesus is referring to here is utter dependence upon him. No fruit, it's a sign of deadness to the vine. Fruit is only possible through connectedness to him. Fruitfulness, by the way, requires the pain of pruning, that you'll bear more fruit. And those are tests and trials. But he always ties in fruitfulness in this text, in this little sermon of his, around prayer. Notice verse 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you're going to talk to me correctly. And when you talk to me correctly, you're going to bear much fruit. And this is going to be to my Father's glory. He ties it together right there. He connects this praying and fruitfulness. In verse 16, he does the same thing. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. It's prayer again. Effective, endorsed prayer is the means to much fruit. By effective, I mean it's informed of God. Move along, Matthew. We're, we're, we're up a couple of things here. Effective, informed, endorsed. In Jesus' name, prayer is the means to much fruit. And much fruit brings glory to the Father. Note this. From the word of God, I gain how God wants me to live. I take that to the God of the word in prayer so that the will of God will come to me and becomes the will of me. And then I bear much fruit. Whatever messages and voices and thoughts that you hang out with most shape you. So let me wrap this up. Christ's lavish love compels us to Christ's connectedness, to Christ's conformity, to Christ's communication, to uncommon love toward the loved. Let me just close it this way. He gives his command twice there. It's not the only command, but it's the one that he highlights. You want to get this thing right? Then here's the command he says. Love one another. As I have loved you, as the Father has loved me, love one another. It's uncommon love. It, it, it characterizes those who are truly connected to Christ it will require prayer. It will require that you call out to the Lord to, to help you bear that kind of fruitfulness that you will love each other sacrificially. It's an uncommon love. Love one another. That way you will show you are my disciples. 
If the Christian community, if we, if each one of us individually could love each other, understanding that that Jesus is calling us his friends, and friends lay down their lives for one another, they care that much about one another, that's the kind of love that the church of Christ has to have. That's what sets us apart as authentic. That's what's real. That's when you know that you are attached to the true vine, when you are absolutely committing yourself to loving one another. Love one another. Love flows through the true vine from the Father to the fruitful, and God is glorified. So once you're hooked on Jesus... The real is very distinctive. It's an obeying and a praying people. That's who they are. That's who we are. Father, our hearts have been filled up with your teaching. I pray, Lord, that we might not take a heart attitude of, yeah, yeah, love love one another. Yes, yes, we've heard this but that we might truly embrace this command. You are my disciples. Now love one another as I have loved you, laying down my life for them. Would you, Lord, empower and inflame our hearts with this desire to respond to your lavish love upon us, that we would obey what you teach us, pray fervently and unceasingly that we might bear much fruit and bring glory to the Father and demonstrate our discipleship by loving one another sacrificially. Could we make that, Lord, a a fresh commitment of our hearts today as a takeaway from this? a powerful and life-transforming takeaway, not just in our lives, but a life-shaping and transforming reality in the highways and byways of our city and region. For Jesus' sake, amen.